Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini, and welcome to another episode of MedTech Money brought to you by Project MedTech. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. On March 1st, we will be creating a new channel for MedTech Money. So if you are a fan of the podcast, please search Project MedTech on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to your favorite Project MedTech channel. In this episode, our host, Giovanni Loricella, and our guest, Cristiano Fontana, from Three Bridges MNC, Cross Bay Medical, IVASC SRL, iStarter, and ClubDealOnline.com discuss how they came up with the name Three Bridges MNC, his background in the medical device space, and how he works with early stage startups to fill their gaps, differences in raising money from different kinds of investors, pre market evaluations, why evaluations are so high discussing why company evaluations change country to country, and so much more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Cristiano Fontana. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future and what comes next with Project MedTech. Cristiano, thank you very much for joining us here today. This is the MedTech Money podcast series powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. And I'm very happy to have you here today because we're. what does it mean to be a facilitator? What does it mean to be an entrepreneur? And the reason why this podcast even exists is because, as you know, I've talked to thousands of MedTech entrepreneurs and investors around the world, and I've come to this conclusion that there's really no magic or silver bullet or specific formula about how to raise or invest capital in medtech. So my goal here is to extract insights and anecdotal stories from investors, bankers, entrepreneurs, and facilitators like yourself, so that we can help those who can benefit from the information and obviously for generations to come. And so this audience is certainly a mixture of experts and novices. And I wanted to come here to extract your stories, insights, and advice to set the stage and with what I imagine actually is that first-time founder or CEO who can most heavily benefit from this information um, and likely is that founder and CEO who has no clue of what lies ahead of them on that journey of raising capital. And so I thought the best place to start is from learning from experienced professionals like yourself. And so why you and I are here today, and I'm very excited, is we're going to take both a European perspective in addition to a global perspective on what it means to be a medtech entrepreneur who has raised capital, but also taking that historical experience and turning it into what does it mean to be a facilitator in this industry, and certainly getting into topics like pre-money valuation and early stage licensing deals for medtech startups, once again, from both a European as well as global perspective. Before we get into any of that, I want to start with three questions specific to you. First one is, Cristiano, do you believe that people and money are the lifeblood of a medtech startup? Why or why not? Would you add anything? And am I missing anything else important? All right, Giovanni. First of all, let me, let me thank you for uh, inviting. And I'm uh, really happy. And thanks for so having me here. Uh, that's a great question. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering whether is that enough 
or is even too much. Um, if you think about the um, high-level equation of uh, success in our industry, uh, uh, you, you need the right people uh, with enough money and bringing uh, promising technology at the right moment. And so let's start from, from the end. At the right moment, it means that either someone has figured it out that it was the right moment, so you're coming down back to the, to the people, or it was just by chance or luck. And you know, luck is, is a key ingredient, not just in our industry, but I would say in life. And uh, so you know, going back, uh, technology, of course, in, you know, without going into details about you know, specific things on, on the IP and whatsoever, you need a promising technology, but you know, technology is coming from someone that has devised that, right? So back to your, your question, now you have people and money and uh, both of them are you know, crucial, uh, but right people attract money, money can also attract you know, the right people. So the question for me is what it means to be the right people and uh, right people, you know, especially in early stage, to me is a mix of expertise and attitude. And probably in the early stage, attitude as the majority part of that. And the, the main attitude that, you know, I, I think by experience is, is the most important, let's say, is perseverance. And, and that's what you need to have for, for you know, bringing something from, from the scratch to, to somewhere, because you are going to convert a lot of no's in yes. And you, we're going to get into your background, but you, you come from both a highly entrepreneurial background in med tech, which now led you and I'll spoil it, to be a facilitator and, and open up your own consulting practice, um, Three Bridges MC, and, and we're going to get into that. But knowing what you know about being a med tech entrepreneur and, and now a facilitator helping out numerous startups in the space, if you knew what you know now about being that med tech entrepreneur and facilitator, would you do it all over again? Why or why not? Or, or what would you do differently? Uh, absolutely yes, uh, and and the reason why is because I enjoy that, and and uh, I enjoyed the journey, which is the most important thing. Um, I you know I don't know whether I can uh, state I've been successful. Well, actually no, I know I because I, I I want I want more in terms of what I would like to achieve in in in, in the professional life. Uh, for sure, I had spectacular failures, and and I cannot say that I, I would redo everything the same, uh, but I would be afraid if I hadn't done some of the mistakes that I did, right? Because I, I would be afraid, okay, I'm going to do that. I, I'm, I'm going to do that mistakes uh, in, the, in the future. So I, I love what I'm doing. Uh, I love our industry. There is also kind of, you know, some, some, some ethic and social part of it. You know, we, we are trying to improve patient life and this is great. And so short answer is absolutely yes. And I love this story. You've told it to me before. And now I want the world to hear it because I think there's always significance or symbolicness behind a name, whether it's a short story or a long story, but there's, there's usually meaning behind a name. And the name of your company is Three Bridges MNC. What does the name of your company mean? What's the meaning behind it and purpose? So, so, all right. So there is a, a marketing story that I would like uh, to be the one uh, that, that, you know, we used to or, or it was the region of, of the name, which you know, we, we, we like to say we bring expertise 
network and passion to, to our clients because are, those are the key components that you know we can you know help and support the, the the companies with but the reality is that the name is coming from a pizzeria and and so from a restaurant in my area in milan and you know to just to make a long story short uh, uh, i was you know i incorporated the company and i was going to, to the notary and and it was like three or four days that i was trying to come up with with a name and uh, and, and you know when it, when you have kids, the first thing you know you're trying to mix in the name of the kids, and, and I was keep going around that. And then I was you know literally going to the to the notary, and I was stopped at a, at a traffic light, and I turned my hand, and there was a guy next to me that looked at me and smiled, and was thinking about the name, and and he you know he he, he, he raised his hand and with the thumb up, and 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 he was the owner of this pizzeria that I know very well because it's next by my house. Uh, called Two Bridges, but in Italian, right? So it's in Italian, it's Tre Ponti. So I thought, oh my God, yeah, I can, I can, I, I like Tre Ponti, but I need to make it international, right? So I think, okay, that's fine, Three Bridges. And and, <laughs> and then I said, okay, Three Bridges probably is, is too generic. Let's let's try to, you know, uh, narrow it down a little. And, and then it came, it came with management and consulting. And, but, and and then you know the tagline came 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 along after that, but it's just the name of a pizzeria. I know probably it's not a great story. I don't know, it, nothing really nothing really fought through, but it is. I think that's it is. A, that even makes for a better story. I mean, you don't hear that every day that a name of a company, especially <laughs> with medtech, um, comes from a pizzeria. And actually, a, a funny story on that one. Th there's another company out there that went public just all over a little over a year ago called Inari Medical, and a similar story came about. Allegedly, the story is they were out eating sushi and they were starting another company because they're successful entrepreneurs and they were having Inari sushi. And so they just called it Inari Medical. So, as an Italian Italian based company, having, having the name coming from the pizzeria is not that bad. Come on. Not bad at all. And I love the story. So, um, lo and behold, the man behind the voice for those listening in right now, Cristiano Fontana, who are you? Where do you come from? How have you built your career and life to becoming the CEO and founder of Three Bridges MNC? All right. So I, I've been in the medtech space um, from, from, from my entire career. And uh, the reason why is uh, due to the fact that my family on, on, the, on my mother's side, uh, they, was in this, they were in the space. And so I started you know, to um, uh, get in touch with, with the industry when, while I was at teenager you know uh during high school i was not a great student so they were putting me working during the summer in the warehouse so i was you know trying to look around and, uh, and i saw a lot of catheters and and medical devices kind of things and and uh, you know i was getting used to that and then after you know, my uh, master's degree in economy i decided to to start uh in the in the same space uh with a family-owned company um which was an incredible uh, learning gym, uh, tough for, for many reasons. Uh, but, uh, you know, I started to work in, so in the commercialization of, of medical devices as a distributor. And that gave me a lot of uh, uh, connections with many different uh, companies and from all over the world and in many different clinical areas. So I've been working in uh, you know, all the general surgeries, um, critical care, women health, orthopedics, um, diagnostic, uh, not in the lab side, but, you know, I, I had quite a, a broad 
um, let's say uh, type of type of school, and 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 also you know I, I I've been able to introduce into into the markets. Uh, probably I have never you know computed that, but it, it could be if not in the triple digits uh, for sure in the in the high double digit of uh, medical devices, right? And and so really face face the uh, the the tough time when when you move from a strategic side of the of the uh, of the business to the to the you know real commercial side of it, like trying to really sell to doctors and and to 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 hospitals, you know, the, the technology, which is not just a matter of how good the technology, but there needs to be several pieces of the puzzles in the, in, in, in the right spot. Uh, then in, uh, while doing that, I, you know, I always felt I needed to have some more international uh, uh, breath in my, in my professional life. And the occasion uh, came when I met, uh, and I have to name it, this, this person named uh, Piyush Vidyarthi, in 2009, and and together, uh, well, he, he, he had incorporated at that time, just incorporated the uh, a, a company named Cross Medical. He pitched that to me, and I decided to put my money and and uh, start this uh, new company uh, we, we, with him and another and another person. And uh, that's that was my first, uh, let's say, my, my first. Uh, a meeting or 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 experience with us with the startup world, and I did it in, in first person. And so, just to to make a long story short, we we, we the company still still there. I'm I'm a board member and acting like a CFO, but also you know uh, looking at the all the uh, market uh, outside of US with companies based in, in San Diego, California, and we uh, brought to the market uh, or uh, let's say. Uh, Brought uh, through FDA and see uh, five products, and we did uh, three slash four licensing deals for uh, uh, those products, and keep you know fundraising and try to fundraising and uh, developing other stuff in the same uh, let's say clinical era, which is woman health. And so after the first deal that came, probably seven eight years of struggling uh, from from. Uh, the 2009 that I was I was mentioning, I you know decided to see if uh, all these um, experience combining, meaning you know the commercial side, uh, the startup side, uh, you know also looking at the you know relationship with the counter manufacturing even in the early phase, just to you know try to get your product from from uh, concept to to reality could be helpful for for someone else, and decided to to find uh, through bridges and and uh, you know putting together. Um, group of people that uh, I got along with in my, in my career uh, and in this, let's say, 15 plus years of, of, of career and from different territories. So we have people in US uh, and in Europe, in Middle East and, and Asia Pacific. And, you know, that at least they were sharing the same, the same value. And, and, and what we do is, is basically helping early stage we are 100% focused on medtech. We are helping early stage in, in uh, we say, filling their gaps, and, and which means we try to understand what, what these guys are missing, and we try to bring, as I was saying before, the expertise, the passion, and the network to fill the gap and, and get them to the next to the next phase with you know the strategic vision of a possible way out uh, in mind. So this is this is uh, the story. And, and 
if we now are at Three Bridges MNC, Management and Consulting, um, just give us a high level overview of what you want all those entrepreneurs out there listening right now to know about Three Bridges MNC. What are your capabilities? What do you want to be able to perform for the market? Um, what can you bring to the table, et cetera? Yep. Right. Yeah. So I usually describe the company as a consulting company, but not made by consultants uh, because we know one of, of, of the team has, you know, been a consultant for the entire career. Everybody has had their own startups uh, managing different phases or they still have, right? Because at the end is a network of professional as well. They still have their entrepreneur side in, in a, maybe a specific area like, like GCC countries or Singapore, uh, APAC, whatever. So what we can provide is, first of all, uh, we, we, we move from the high-level strategic advisory, trying to really understand if there is a consistency from you know, the strategic vision down to the numbers, the fundraising strategy, the regulatory roadmap, the reimbursement strategy, the market access and go-to-market and see all these combined are consistent, or we can have you know, specific tasks, like we're probably gonna talk about that, like some companies are in fundraising, they need, they need us in order to you know, get you know, the, the investment case together, have a proper pre-money valuation, uh, have all the documents set, uh, put together and help them fundraising. That, that could be a specific task, or it can, again, be more, more strategic. Then, you know, as for, from my personal experience, but uh, I would say 8% of, of the team members are coming from also the commercial size, side. And we can also, you know, help in, 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 in introduction. I always uh, thought and experience there is a gap between companies that, you know, are developing or develop something until a great milestone, like is, is you know, you know, the regulatory approval, but then, you know, they have not the right expertise or the, the change in their organization is, uh, and you know better than me, is, is, is not that easy to switch from an R&D centric organization to a marketing and sales oriented organization uh, to introduce the, the technology in the different markets, understanding, especially, you know, all the different health systems and, and how you can, you can exploit the best from, from each of them. So all these different things uh, we, like to, we like to facilitate, right? As, as, you, as you were saying before, facilitate, you know, the, the early stage companies in. So I've, I've touched on this with a, another podcast regarding someone who left industry to become a venture capitalist and, and those differences between those two fields of being an operator in a med tech startup versus being a VC. Um, you being a med tech operator with Cross Bay Medical, now running a consulting firm, there are plenty of people who think about maybe leaving the industry and wanting to become a consultant or taking it for a lifestyle approach or whatever it may be. But in your experience of starting and running a med tech startup and having, we call it one flag to wave, it's, it's one company that you're there for. And now being in this consulting firm that you have, and obviously that has its own flag, but you're having an outward approach of working with many, many startups. What are some of the pros and cons of being in a med tech startup and then being in a consulting firm targeting med tech startups? What's that different feeling? What do you miss? What do you like better being in consulting? Give us some of that feeling. Well, this is a great question. Actually, you have to think about that because it's, um, it's totally different. And, and I, think, I think it comes down to, to 
the way you're 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 made and the kind of attitude you have. Uh, there, there are times I can tell you right now that you know maybe there are some some proposal also coming from from companies of being you know becoming a full time or, or or the CEO for a certain phase. And so far, I always refuse because I like to match what I'm what I'm doing. And and uh, so the, the the big difference. So there are pros and cons, as you said, in in, in both sides. Um, what I like the most of uh, the consultancy side is I, I sometimes I make uh, I, I make the parallelism of you know human organization within the company with let's say love relationship and when when you are inside a couple it's tough sometimes to determine you know what's wrong what's good or uh, if things are going the proper way whose who's fault is. Um, and, and, and someone from, from outside can have a clearer, clearer let's say, uh, view of what is happening. And, and this is what I like from, you know, just being a step outside of, of uh, the companies, even though, you know, I, we really get integrated in, in the team of, of the company we work with. And that, that's very important for us, right? We, we become part of the team, but still it's not our company, right? So we have a sort of, of, of sterile approach that really, Helps a lot in in um, in determining you know maybe the, the right decision or the right direction or you know sometimes thinking out of the box or or giving a different angle and this is this is what I, I like the most plus the fact that you know I'm switching from you know one project to the other and I'm so keen on and I love you know thinking about business models and and how to you know that business model brings value how how the value can be bigger. Uh, so really, you, you're you're keep switching in the same day. In the same day, maybe in the same day, you, you have three, four, five different things that you need you need to to talk about. And 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 I I feel I like it. Uh, probably someone else may may uh, you know have a different feeling, but this is something that I really enjoy in, in, in doing. While when you are when you are just in, in your company, of course, there, there, is, there are also pros and cons there. Um, probably, you, 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 you know, the company is, is your baby and, and, you know, you give all your life and especially in the early stage, it's all about that. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stress. It doesn't mean that we, we don't have stress on the other side, but it, but it's a, it's a difference that you have to perform and, and, and provide value, but, but you know what you can do. And many times also in the consultancy, if I see a company that really are doing things properly and I don't feel like, or I don't think like I can provide value, I, I'm clear about that and say, guys, I probably, you know, I, you're doing everything that I, I would do. <laughs> so why, why you should pay me for? Uh, I, I cannot give you a different angle, uh, even though I, whether I think is a good angle or not, I just, you're, you're great as as far as my subjective my subjective uh, perspective is considered. So the the, the big difference is, is that um, uh, switching a lot and switching phases. There are companies that you know I'm doing the fundraising. Other companies that are going still in the OR for first you know clinical post market whatever trials. And so it's completely it's, it's very different from from one day to another. And this is what I'm enjoying the most. And another high level question, and we'll start tying into the specifics and we're going to get into this topic of pre-money valuation and early stage licensing deals. But before we get into that, you're based in Milan, in Italy, in Europe, 
Um, you work heavily from a consulting perspective with European companies. However, you certainly have a global perspective, um, being one of the founders and still on the board of Cross Bay Medical, a San Diego-based company. Um, my question for you, in your experience, and I'll leave it as open-ended as this just to see where we go with it, but what are the major differences of running a company, meaning specifically a medtech startup in Europe, starting one in Europe and building it in Europe and raising capital for it in Europe, et cetera, and doing the same thing in the United States? What are the major differences of starting a medical device company in both of these different continents, whether it's easier, harder, more hurdles, less hurdles? What are some of those high-level differences? Well, I would say the, the first, the highest level difference that I I can I can think about right now is in the majority of the case, uh, your way out strategy is based on what is considered the biggest market or what, or where the biggest strategic players are, which is U.S. In many cases, not not every time, but in many cases, which means that if you start a company outside of U.S. Your, 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 your first market that you're targeting is probably not the one that you, you, you started the company or, or your final, you know, you, you need to create value also for something that is not where you're located. And, and this has several impact in terms of, you know, the network that you're gonna, you're gonna exploit, the, the talent that you are having in the company if, if they're also, you know, um, um, if they also fit for for uh, the, the U.S. market, and, and th- this is the first thing that uh, yeah comes to my mind. And then, of course, you know there there, there is a completely different um, uh, financial market in terms of you know fundraising and and uh, M and A, and and that's that's definitely uh, another another impact. And then you know if you if you want if you think about even think about thinking about you know going to U.S. in a, in a second phase. Which now, for for, for uh, you know the regulatory matter has a, li- a little bit you know uh, it went upside down upside down. Let's say um, U.S. is still considered as one market, but outside of it, you have so many different. You know, Europe is not one market; is is X number of markets equal to X number of territories, and so even for the go-to market, uh, the, the the strategies needs to be completely different, right? And uh, if, you, if you're targeting uh, the, the European versus other other area first. So these are the first thing that comes in my mind. I don't know if I addressed properly the question, but. 100%, I thought those were great points. And, and the one thing I just want to drill on to see if you can speak to it is um, on, the, on the cultural side, you mentioned the financial markets are different. Raising money for startups, whether it's a European company looking at European VCs or European money to keep there, or if it's a European startup looking to the US for money or vice versa, US to US, US to Europe. Are the investors culturally, is the the investor ecosystem culturally different from Europe versus United States or even within countries in Europe? Is there any identifiable cultural differences that you can speak to? Are they slower? Are they faster? Are they more detail oriented? Is it older money? Is it newer money? Those kinds of things. They are short, short way to answer. Um, giving you more details, I think it's it's a combined factors that determine the the outcome. And first of all, probably we need to uh, 
separate the discussion in terms of different subsets of, of, of investor, meaning, you know, whether we're talking about differences between family offices, differences between, you know, VCs and institutionals. Uh, th there are definitely reasons why, you know, there are differences. And uh, the, the main one, of course, is, is the amount of liquidity that is, that is on the market. The second one is if you're talking, if, if we stay on the family offices, and let's say, let's, let's also include that family friends and family offices, um, the differences are coming from a different entrepreneurship culture, you know, historically from, from Europe to, to US and within Europe from country to country, right? And, 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 and then, you know, even in Europe, you know, there are some, yes, you know, uh, definitely there, there, there could be French money coming to Italy and vice versa and German to Italy, UK, whatever. Uh, but, but still, you know, there is some, if, if, if you're looking for money outside of your specific country, you need to overcome and cope with some skeptical comments or, or you know, about the organization, whether it's ready to, to, to scale internationally or whether it's not, it doesn't fit for any, you know, international type of uh, business model. And so, that's even um, that's even country to country in Europe. You're saying there's that much of a difference country to country in Europe. Yeah, of course, of course, as, as close as you get, you know, this this lane becomes subtle and, and subtler, but but still you have, but still you have. you have. You have to show that you're not just, you know, just from the basic things, you're not based your business model just on, on a clinical need that is that is in your country, right? Sometimes it happens, like, you know, there's the doctor that, you know, came up with something that some other, you know, on the business side believed, but then it was based just on, on a specific thing that is just based on, on, a, on some healthcare system that relates just to one or two countries and it's not, you know, it cannot be transferred to other to other places. So that, that could be one reason. Of course, it's, it's, I, I'm not saying it's a barrier that could not be coped with or overcome, but but um, yeah, some, something is there, right? Very good. So I, I want to get to the, the more technical topic at hand that you're the expert on. And this, this notion of pre-money valuation, I talk to so many startups, I know you do the same. And this idea of valuation is such a mystical, magical topic. Is it an art? Is it a science? Does anyone really have the answer? Is, is valuations based only on comparisons or is it how the investors feel that particular day? But valuations are such a large open-ended topic that I still have never really had um, an identifiable one particular answer. So demystify this idea of pre-money valuations and whatever you want the audience to hear on pre-money valuations from your expertise, I would love to hear. Right. So you, you mentioned something. Uh, someone says it's an art. Someone says it says that it's a science. So my position would be it's both, but but um, it cannot just be one of the two, right? And and. You need to have some science, and then you have to add on on top uh, the artistic part, or let's say the part that is based on experience. Uh, we, without the let's say scientific um, background, uh, you, you you would not get to an outcome that can be reliable. Then I, I would focus more the attention on that's a topic that definitely is is a, is a big one when when we discuss with. Uh, early stage and they would like either to know you know how much my company value or 
should I should I accept this um, this term sheet based on the valuation? So the, the first thing is valuation is not a, a, an objective value, but the range of the valuation can be objective based on certain criteria, which is the phase of the company, the, the, the clinical area, the location of the company, and the type of investor you are talking with, right? So, so there is a range. Someone expect that, you know, you know, someone like they ask me to develop financial models and come up with numbers that exact the, the value of the complex, six million and four hundred fifty thousand and three hundred two bucks, right? That that's not that's not the that's not the objective. The objective is to have something that is reliable and that on the uh, possible negotiation you have you have used variables that you can stand behind, right? And 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 uh, you know at least. Uh, have the discussion with whoever is on the other side. Uh, I also approach that, first of all, saying that doing that uh, doesn't make sense to do that, first of all. I think it does to a degree that um, A, is an internal exercise for the company itself to really understand or, let's say, challenge their understanding about the potential market and, and really, you know, also the go-to-market can, can be challenged by that, right? Because you come to evaluation based also on the go-to-market and the market penetration that you think about. And that's a kind of a mix between top-down versus bottom-up uh, kind of, of, of uh, budgeting. And, and so it makes sense because you really realize, and, and, and sometimes I have a hard time because the results are not really aligned with the expectation of the company. And and uh, and it's a good moment of like looking back at what the assumptions are and what the business model is and, and what the clinical need is, because because it can really change also the strategy at the end and maybe you know try to put towards something that probably brings more value with the same technology. Uh, and then the second part is you cannot expect to have a final outcome and go to an investor and say this is the company value and if you want to put money that's you know that's the amount this is not the case right i always say you know the really out the, the output of the 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 all this work is coming from someone that buys it he's gonna set that you can propose it and but he's gonna set that and and secondly it depends also on the type of investors you know private like family and friends up to certain type of family office maybe you know that can be also using the negotiation process but when it comes to uh, institutional they, they they have their own way to 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 decide right uh, uh the, the type of valuation then you can come back with your own reasoning but you know um uh, it's not just you proposing and 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 then uh, accepting or not um, and then the the other thing you said um i probably am forgetting that but it was more uh no, I think I, co I covered everything, but but there was something probably that I'm missing. Well, what, I, what I wanted to jump into was the, the, this notion that, especially with the very early stage startups, right? Maybe And maybe it's the first time founder who has no idea about valuations and they have to be forced to learn the stuff now because they came up with an idea, they're a physician, they're an engineer, nothing about business, but here we are. Um, when you're that early on, there's this notion of, 
people saying, well, the easiest way to do a pre-money valuation in early stage companies is just look at comparables. Look at what else other companies are doing. Is that is that an answer? Is that is that I have my next drug eluding stent and I have the better mousetrap at this point and I'm going to go look at other drug eluding stent companies based on their valuations and that's what I'm going to say. And on that comparables, when I'm going to early stage investors who are going to invest in me, if I say a number to them and they come back and say, well, no, um, we think you're valued at this. I mean, do I really have any leverage if I have nothing to back it up with because I'm that early? Am I subjected to whatever the investors want to pay? Right. So um, great questions both. Uh, to the first one, I would say it, is, it does not relate just to early stage, meaning my answer would be due to the fact, coming back to the beginning, we were saying is an art or is a science, right? So the debate is around something that is concrete, meaning it's not 100% science. So my way to get back to you is how would you base everything just on one thing like comparables if it's not a science? You need more angles. And it doesn't matter whether it's an early stage or is a, let's say, a little bit more mature, like a Series A or Series B. It, it, it's, you, need, you need to have more angles because I can bring up three, four different financial models where the output varies quite a bit, right? But because each model has some, some, some drawbacks and, and some, some uh, benefits, uh, it takes some criteria and variables under consideration. And so I, my approach is always to use different angles, which, you know, at the end, it declines into different financial models, which start from different bases. So, of course, com comparables is one of those, but it cannot be the only one. It can be a referral. It can be, sorry, a reference, but, but, but it, cannot, it cannot be the only one you're using. And then the other point is, in many cases, comps are not that comps as you can imagine, right? You know, sometimes it's, it's tough to say, yeah, exactly that. I, I can use that because it's exactly what I'm trying to, you know, bring to the market or to, to, to wherever. And, and so since the concept is a little bit broader, then people will question, okay, but, you know, if you don't use any discount factor or something that brings it back to your reality, the valuation you came up with, it, it really, does not answer to the to the to the to the to, to, to the question, and um, so that that's that's my that's my answer. Then when, the second part was okay in the negotiation phase. I, I also try to um, let's say come back about that on on personal experience. When someone comes to you with money and you don't have money, you're not in the nice side of the negotiation. And, and going back to my personal experience again, I can tell you that that's 100% related to your attitude. And I have to, for example, thank my, my brother Piyush because in certain case, he, can, he could say no when I would say yes, <laughs> definitely. And uh, so, and, and having something that is concrete and, and has some, some strong basics behind can be used to get back and say, no, but this is why uh, it doesn't mean it will be effective. Uh, 
but it, but at least is is something that you can use. A lot of the VCs and investors in general right now during this elongated period of COVID that we've been in and seeing balloons and bubbles and rising inflation and rising valuations, et cetera. Why are valuations inflated right now? Why are we seeing companies have higher valuations typically than normal? Why are the VCs and investors saying that valuations are higher now? Well, my answer would be uh, mainly because, you know, the focus on innovation in the healthcare has never been so high as it is now uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, the, the, the business model of many companies are, everybody now is, you know, not just people from the industry understand that, you know, innovating is something that can prevent future problems or, or, uh, Everybody's looking. I, I was also noticing that even the crowdfunding. I always my 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 personal position on crowdfunding for for medtech was you know, I always believe that people do at least I'm, I'm talking about Italy, but people you know buy something on the crowdfunding as an investor if they understand what they're buying, right? If they could be a customer, right? And when you're talking about an endovascular catheter, sincerely, either you have the problem or why, why you, you would put yourself in the shoes of the customers. Uh, but now, you know, also that changed because, because there are so many, you know, communication around, around, around the life science and healthcare and medical devices that that could be part of the reason, probably not the only one, but that could be part of the reasons. And, and also the liquidity, right, changed in, in terms of really high level. And I guess so the offer, offer change in the demand the demand clearly and evaluation depends on that. You, you, that one matter of fact, if you, if you take the same company in different countries, the valuation would change, right? The same company in US would be valued differently than Intel. Same one. Why? I'm so glad that you just said that exact question because I wanted to make sure we highlighted that, that this notion of valuations and changing from country to country. And we've we've heard from before from other podcasts, guests on this one that you know companies in general can get further in Israel than they can in United States on less money, for example. Or um, I had a great podcast with Alessio Bavarina from Panakes, who was saying that the, the value that they can get out of Italian companies is incredible because once again, can get quite far on having less salaries, et cetera, and less resources uh, in terms of expense. Um, so talk about this notion of valuation in the difference between the United States and Europe and even the, the sub countries within Europe? Yeah, all right. so definitely one big factor is, is, the, is the offer side, right? So the, the financial market, how, how big is the VC market? How many VCs are in the, in, on the vertical? How many you know, family offices are on the vertical? How, how big is the economy? All these things are definitely impact the, the, the valuation of the company. Um, Second thing, it's probably I already mentioned that before, but if, if you think that uh, you know, for the majority of 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 uh, the, the the markets, US can be probably for, 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 as far as the value is concerned, the, the biggest market. Clearly, if you if you're already in, in US, you can be considered closer to 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 your final target, right? And and definitely, so at the same stage, if you if you if you think they're closer, that they, they, they should. Uh, they should reflect it in, in, in the valuation. 
you 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 mentioned Israel, but Israel has uh, also the gover governmental you know uh, subsidies are, are are important and and also can push the valuation up of of, of companies. There there is an ecosystem you know that um, impact uh, you know the amount of money and resources that companies uh, really can can uh, can get. And you know I, I'm in a country where the the entrepreneurship was based on on debt on bank loans. That there was no way, you know, someone or an entrepreneur would have, would have accepted someone getting into the equity until you know some years ago, not 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 forty years ago for sure. That that was our you know way of in, in thinking about entrepreneurship, right? Thinking about you build something and you pass it to your kids. That that, that was <laughs> so you 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 were getting loan from the bank. And, and all the economic system was based on that. It's still based on that. So if you compare to other, even European countries here. So definitely, you know, and that's why we, one of the, going back to three bridges, the fact that I tried to put together a global team is also to provide a global angle to companies that can exploit that for, you know, also fundraising, because you need to show that you're not just stuck where you are. You need to show that you're global. Uh, clearly, at the beginning, you cannot, you know, cannot, you cannot attract all the talent. You know, you cannot afford to attract all the talent to to be global. But you can, you can find a way to manage that. I want to get into this notion of the negative effects improper valuation can have. I, I've also heard this before, where it's just as bad to have too much money and raise too much money, and you're overvalued versus not raising enough and undervalued. What are some of the negative consequences that you have experienced or heard of, of improper valuation when someone's going out and raising their money or raising their capital for their startup and their valuations are just unrealistically high and maybe they even raise on that? What are the negative impacts down the road? Um, vice versa for undervaluation. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, specifically for what you said, negative impacts might, may come from... Uh some, I would say, corporate governance uh, veto rights that you're giving for something that is a value too high. And then, you know, you, you, you discover that nobody is really, really willing to, to put in place any M&A operation that, you know, can give up the, the, the return uh, on the investment that, uh, you know, some, some BC made. And so they, they're, they're saying no, and you cannot get out of it, right? Because you're not getting the right deal. And the right deal, you're not getting that just because, the company was valued much more than what it could have been valued after three or four years when, when uh, possible exit windows happened, right? That, that could be one of, one of, one of the reasons. Uh, Post-raising funds. Before raising funds, of course, you know, the, the, the wrong valuation may impact a couple of things. First of all, you're not, you're not executing the right dilution strategy, so you're not really maximize the value of the current shareholders. In the on on in on let's say along the journey, and secondly, your demand is too high, and, and people are not willing to buy it. Is it or if it's too low, if it's too low, you're diluting too much your shareholders. So you need you need to you need to be in the right range. But the right range is also determined again. You 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 will notice if you are in the right range. And I want to start segueing over to this next topic that you brought up that I would love to hear your thoughts on and, and also your global perspective and experience on this stage, or I should say early stage licensing deals. 
what do you want to have these listeners understand? Once again, those entrepreneurs specifically listening in on early stage licensing deals for med tech startups. Yeah. So first of all, the, the, someone even do not consider, and I can tell you, you know, based on, on when I approach, you know, companies as, as there are clients, they even not consider that. Like, okay, we, we're going to have our exit when, you know, we're going to be in commercial phase and whatsoever, which most likely will happen because if you look at the statistic, that is the moment, you know, where, where uh, the majority of, of the exit happen in our industry. But on the other side, according to certain criteria, you should also consider that maybe if the right opportunity knocks you know, on your door, you should be able to accept it. And in order to do that, the only thing that you have to do, well, it's not the only because it's not the easiest one, but every day you, you, you need to manage the company in a manner that if someone knocks on your door, you will find you at the max valuation possible for that specific day, right? And you have to keep that in mind while managing, managing the company. So first of all, consider that it's, it's, a, it's something that it can happen and can be also suitable. Uh, and it can, you know, according to, you know, the fundraising process, I always say, well, you know, if you, if you typically you expect that if, if, when the exit come further down the road, the multiple should be higher, right? But also you have to consider also the dilution, right? And, and so maybe if you have still 30% or 40% of a company and you get 10 millions is, is more than, I don't know, 100 or 200 millions exit when you have, I don't know, one, I'm not, I, I don't know if I make the proper ratio, but let's say 2% of the company, okay? Um, so you have to take that on count. So it depends on, you know, what kind of opportunity um, uh, comes to you and, and the, the ability of considering that and, and understanding the pros and cons of doing a, early licensing deals because for sure you may have to leave some value because you're not at the moment where you you know have some some commercial proof of concept or some some clinical proof of concept so you cannot let's say demand uh, what you would demand uh, at a different stage but on the other side can can under certain condition can be also something good for your company especially for example if you have a platform uh, technology and, and you, are, you are licensing just a field of use of it, right? And, and using that as a non-dilutive money for uh, funding your own run and you're just giving you know, the, the, uh, the one that had less potential. Early on in this podcast series, I interviewed Olivier Dagos, who is the founder and managing partner of a company called Mavi Technologies. And he's based over in Shanghai, originally from France. And what he has been helping out a lot of med tech startups do, Western med tech startups, is actually raise, quote unquote, non-dilutive funding through licensing deals over in China. And so specifically giving licensing rights of a Western med tech company over to China. And we got into this topic of the potential downside, because it sounds great, right? I mean, I even asked him, I said, why wouldn't every med tech startup who has Chinese IP do a licensing deal and let's just say get $50 million in non-dilutive capital so they can build and run their business over here in the West and even expand from United States to Europe or vice versa. But then the, the topic came around, well, what happens if Medtronic wanted to come buy you? And 
if you had all of your IP and you never did the licensing deal and they had access to this global commercialization upon buying you, you would have been bought for 350 million, 400 million. I'm making it up. But because you don't have access to China anymore, it may disrupt the deal because maybe they thought that that was a really great market to eventually commercialize and now they can't, or they have to go buy back the rights from China if possible. Um, or um, it's no longer a market that they can access, thus reducing the value of the actual acquisition and what you could have got at 350 or 400 million you may now get for 125 million or 250 million. So th that's just the Chinese versus the West licensing deal example. When you say early stage licensing deals from a global perspective, are, are you talking about doing those same styles of deals for an Italian company and licensing to a US corporate? Or give us some examples of what you're talking about. And then also what are the downsides that companies should be thinking about these early stage licensing deals, because obviously the upsides are, are to your point, obvious. So I, I, I could refer to both um, early licensing deals that give global rights and, and super early licensing deals that, you know, give license just for, for, for example, for China and you get non-diluted funds to, you know, use for, for your own development. Um, yeah. The downside for, you know, Giovanni, we can keep talking about all the ideal strategic, you know, thoughts and plan that, but, but at the end in my experience, I, I found that when you're early stage startups, many, many, many of what is happening, it comes from opportunities. And, and sometimes you, you don't have a plenty of options to decide, you know, and to select. And, um, and, and down the road, of course, as you said, you, you, let's assume you gave it, uh, the license uh, for for uh, for, to, to, for the Chinese market, and and then you know it comes Metronic and they value the uh, the deal less because they cannot get to China. So I would I would say, knowing that you need to have some clause in and provision in the licensing uh, that you made that you know like a buyout, you try you, you have to try to negotiate that because you know that that can be can be um, something that can impact your your future deals and and something that you know makes happy also their side somehow i know it's not easy but but you know knowing that you, you, you try to do that on the other side i can i can tell you that in other cases there are you know global deals that even with big companies that they're, they're not really real real global <laughs> they 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 want global but they're not going to do anything in many areas of the world and, and, and so um, maybe the impact is not, uh, say, as, as massive or huge that uh, you could think. So, but the, the, the issue, of course, is that not knowing that before, the only thing that you can do is try to put in place contracts that you know, foresee uh, all these different uh, options that may happen in, in the future. They, and knowing that is very important, right? So the problem is doing that while you already know what it can happen or what it cannot happen. And, and I can tell you in my professional life at the beginning, I didn't know that. And of course I made mistakes. <laughs> and then, and then now I can, I can I probably, I, I, I know that and I will do other, but, but, but uh, these specific things, uh, you know, I, 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 I know that uh, there is a way to, to prevent, let's say as many variables as possible. So, in summary and in wrapping up, Three Bridges Management and Consulting 
certainly founded by you, has his expertise of understanding or at least assisting with pre-money valuations, early stage licensing deals. And to our points here on this podcast today, pre-money valuations are both an art and a science. It's both common sense as well as a little bit of relationship management in addition to understanding the financial world that we live in and the timing of such. And then the early stage licensing deals, though could be complex, it's like a chessboard, um, but certainly a great option for early stage startups to consider. Correct, yeah. So I'm glad that we were able to touch base on both of these topics today because they're very crucial, especially for startups who are facing these challenges on valuations, which is certainly a black box within itself, um, but also the options of thinking about these licensing deals. So I want to say Cristiano Fontana, founder of Three Bridges MNC, Management and Consulting, and also founder and operator of Cross Bay Medical. Thank you so much for speaking with us today for sharing your insights and also for obviously dedicating your time to this podcast series to help out entrepreneurs. So this is the MedTech Money podcast series, demystifying, raising and investing capital. Thank you so much, Cristiano. It was a great pleasure, Giovanni. Really, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.